Hello, readers and listeners. This is Karen Hunt, a.k.a. K.H. Majek. And as I uh, start writing, or as I've been working on writing and hopefully finish soon, two essays, one on the coming world war and another one on the harvesting of humans for the gods, <laughs> these two very important pieces, uh, I've reflected back on a piece that I wrote back in September uh, let's see, September of 2021, probably uh, maybe my most important piece, one of my most important pieces anyway, certainly. And uh, it, it, it talked about menticide. And it talked about mass psychosis uh, long before anyone else actually was w w long before it came out uh, strongly in the media uh, with the, the Joe Rogan uh, interview of Dr. Malone. So I want to uh, read this for you now, and perhaps people will read it. I encourage people to do so in coming up to these next essays that I'm writing. This essay is called Utopian Madness. The newspapers of Utopia, he had long ago decided, would be terribly dull. And that's a quote from 2001, A Space Odyssey, Arthur C. Clarke. We are in the midst of a mass psychosis. This psychosis is built upon delusions which originate in the ruling class. We must never forget that no matter how powerful the elite appear to be, no matter how intelligent or benignly nerdy, they are insane. In their deluded state, they believe they have all the answers, and thus they deserve to have the absolute power to dictate those answers to the rest of us. If we disagree, we are in danger. We are a danger to ourselves and to society. This they truly believe. They are our saviors. In order to accomplish their goal of saving humanity, they must inflict menticide on the masses or a killing of the mind and the spirit. Just Merlu explains this in his book, The Rape of the Mind, and I strongly encourage everyone to read this book. Menticide is an old crime against the human mind and spirit, but systematized anew. It is an organized system of psychological intervention and judicial perversion through which a ruling class can imprint their own opportunistic thoughts upon the minds of those they plan to use and destroy. In order to accomplish this, the elite must manufacture waves of fear within the populace, each wave is followed by a period of relative calm, but after each calm, the fear intensifies. We've experienced such a period of calm this summer, a respite from our prisons. And again, uh, just interjecting here, we've experienced this again repeatedly since I wrote this essay. We were allowed to go maskless, to travel a bit more, gyms reopened, and now everything is even worse. By the winter, the waves of terror in the form of ever-worsening news, conflicting reports, and downright lies will become overwhelming. Confusion has resulted in the minds of all of us experiencing these onslaughts. Desperately, we try to decipher the strange and terrifying things that are happening around us and to us. Marlou further explains, Each wave of terrorizing creates its effects more easily after a breathing spell than the one that preceded it because people are still disturbed by their previous experience. Morality becomes lower and lower, and the psychological effects of each new propaganda campaign become stronger. 
It reaches a public already softened up. Emotion, without reason thought to temper it, becomes the automatic response, and we feel justifiably so. Merlu again. Logic can be met with logic, but illogic cannot. It confuses those who think straight. The big lie and monotonously repeated nonsense have more emotional appeal than logic and reason. While the people are still searching for a reasonable counter-argument to the first lie, the totalitarians can assault them with another. If you feel like you are always one step behind the game, you are. We keep repeating to one another in horrified fashion. I can't believe this is happening. And the more we say that, the more it normalizes the realization that these things we can't believe are happening are happening. There becomes no answer other than to accept it. Unless you live in a hut in the middle of the Amazon forest, and that's beginning to look very appealing, you cannot escape the onslaught. Every single person with a smartphone gives in to this repeated propaganda, even those who think they don't, because unless we throw away our devices, we are under its power to constantly influence us, and I mean constantly. Very few people ever turn off their devices anymore. We have learned to be connected 24-7. Throwing away our, device, our devices is not an option for anyone who wants to survive, let alone excel in modern society. This realization creates the killing of the mind. No longer do people pause and reflect. This is a useless waste of time. There is nothing to reflect about and no one to reflect with. Even those of us who think we are rebelling continually repeat the same mantras on forums like Twitter of, I can't believe this is happening. People have retreated from reality. Beyond the closed doors of our minds dwell unpredictable demons. Stay inside. If you go out, you must arm yourself with the weapons of the COVID warrior, a mask, sanitizer, and a vaccine. Navigate the battlefield by maintaining a safe distance from others. Don't engage in conversation. If you notice anyone disobeying the rules, report them. Attack their reputation. Get them fired from their job. Deny them health care. Why should they be allowed to buy food and maybe infect me? Better they die than me. They deserve it. In our self-righteousness, we think they are the selfish ones. We have forgotten what compassion means. In this state, depression, violence, drug use, and suicide increase. People lash out at one another. Despair overcomes morality and decency disappears. We read the statistics and throw up our hands in horror. I can't believe this is happening. But there is hope offered to us by the all-wise and powerful gods. Once we have accepted the totalitarian of health and safety do's and don'ts, we have a breakthrough of psychotic insight. Following the rules means we will be saved. Order can be restored. It does not matter if the rules are absurd or if they say one thing one day and the opposite the next. We have received so much conflicting information by this point. Our brains are too weary to contemplate unraveling it. As one example, the science on masks has changed multiple times, but that's okay because science changes. On the other hand, only the changes made by the state accepted narrative are allowed. Anyone who presents an opposing view, no matter how rational, even if it has the potential to save millions of lives, is a heretic. 
I keep thinking of the Terminator, as I mentioned in my last essay, where first he was evil and then he became good. By the time he reaches out his hand and says, come with me if you want to live, the world is so dangerous that anyone who wants salvation has no choice but to trust him. This is what the gods are doing to us right now, the gods of this earth. They are reaching down and offering salvation. But that salvation comes at the price of our personal freedom. We must give up ourselves for the good of all. There can be no middle ground. Everyone must submit equally. If we do this, we are promised that the fear and the chaos will stop. We will enter a utopian era free of worry, free of work, free of the weight of ownership. Of course, danger will always await us in the wings. That is why we understand that the gods must be ever vigilant, monitoring us to ensure uniform obedience. After all, no one wants to be punished for someone else's mistakes. Any deviance will be dealt with swiftly and rightly so. COVID was the perfect umbrella under which to create this new world. With a vaccine and the FDA approval of the Pfizer BioNTech Vax, we have officially entered the era of totalitarian rule under the guise of health and safety. Like a hundred science fiction stories, a new life awaits you on the off-world colonies. That's from Blade Runner 1982. Let's think about the bizarre dichotomy between the world we now live in and the world of our overlords. While we ordinary citizens endure the storms of a mutating virus, climate change, food shortages, evictions from homes, floods of illegal immigrants, a revival of terrorism, crime waves, the threat of civil war, even another world war, the first space hotel is set to open in 2027. Who will travel to that hotel? Do you think it will be the ordinary folk? No. As we are entertained by visions of the cool boys on the block racing each other to space, we are being locked down again and told we have to earn the right to see our own grandparents by, con by constant testing and tracing and obedience to draconian new laws. While we struggle to gain more points as good citizens, the gods and those they deem worthy are flying like angels in the sky. I've listened to a few of Elon Musk's speeches on immigrating to space. Interestingly, where others say we need to cut the population, he has said we need millions more people if we are to survive because we need those millions to populate space. After all, eventually, the sun is going to expand and engulf the earth. So we really have to think about ahead, billions of years ahead, or maybe sooner. Just a few days ago, he posted a cryptic tweet referencing world, the World War I novel, The Guns of the Guns of August. On history's clock, it was sunset, and the sun of the old world was setting in a dying blaze of splendor, never to be seen again. He continued with another tweet referencing Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, Nine Rings for Mortal Men. The men holding these rings are the ring wraiths, terrifying wraiths, who were once kings but succumbed to the power of Sauron by wearing rings he has given them. Is this some dire warning about the sun setting on Western civilization? I don't need a cryptic tweet to let me know we are in trouble. Will Biden's horrific Afghanistan debacle usher in the Third World War? It is estimated that between 123 and 160 million people died in the wars in the 20th century. That number pales in comparison to the carnage we can inflict on one another now. Musk and his cohorts better hurry up if they want to escape this planet. 
but never mind all that negativity. If you suspend your disbelief, just as we do with a good movie, Musk's, Branson's, Bezos's, and others' visions of our future in space really does sound wonderful. Imagine colonies on incredible space, space stations, on Mars, and on other planets that simulate Earth, but are even better because there is no pollution, no disease, oh, and no war. There will be a basic income, so no one will have to work if they don't want to. Everybody's moods will be modulated. Robots will take care of all the unpleasant, boring, and dangerous jobs that humans used to do. Musk recently unveiled his friendly 5'8 androgynous robot, codenamed Optimus. Don't worry, it can't go faster than 5 miles an hour, so it can't chase you. And it's programmed not to hurt you. Hmm, where have I heard that before? Oh, that was in 2001, A Space Odyssey, and there was a problem with that AI called HAL. Despite all of that, who amongst us hasn't dreamt of traveling in space, of living in some futuristic paradise? I know I have. I can't help but root for this vision to become reality, and yet doubts plague my mind. How can Musk and others like him be so stupid? Stupid, you say? They are the most brilliant minds. They are the visionaries who will catapult us into the future, save us all. Why be such a downer? Because they are all missing. We are all missing the most fundamental truth of truths, our dangerous selves. Just listen to the irrationality of famed scientist Stephen Hawking. Aggression may have had survival advantage to caveman days, in caveman days, but now it threatens to destroy us all. A major nuclear war would be the end of civilization and maybe the end of the human race. So, what's his answer? Space travel is our best bet for survival. Hawking understands the basic flaws of human nature. His stupidity comes in his solution. Leave the mess behind and go make an even bigger mess someplace else. Like the kid who trashes his bedroom and then goes on to trash the next room and the next without ever cleaning up his previous mess, our gods behave like obnoxious, irresponsible teenage boys. Did no one ever teach them to clean up after themselves? Maybe they were allowed to eat dessert and screw the vegetables. Of course, we shouldn't be too alarmed at their behavior. After all, they are above us all with their intelligence and wealth. Such mundane matters are not their concern. They have servants for that, and now robots. I have a friend from Senegal who has told me that this is a prison planet. The human race is so destructive and dangerous that we have been exiled here. Now we are trying to get off. What will happen if we succeed before we have learned the most basic of lessons? And will those who are above us ever allow that to happen anyway? Do these giants of intellect not foresee obvious problems? We already don't know how to get along with one another. From the moment a child can move and talk, a parent doesn't need to teach it how to misbehave. Children need to be taught how to be decent and kind, how to share, that there are consequences for bad behavior. Humans have always ruled by fear and manipulation rather than compassion and truth. Just look at how the gods are even now achieving their goals through mass psychosis. We fight for power over one another, even within families. Nations threaten to take over each other's territories. We use our best minds to develop ever more powerful killing devices. We impose our beliefs on one another. We exploit the earth and then dishonestly change from one method of exploitation to a new one under the guise of caring for the planet. But the real reason is greed among the gods. Imagine the amount of materials that we will need to extract from the Earth before we can start extracting it from other planets. 
In the gods' insatiable appetite for power, they will feed off of every resource on this planet, if it means they can then leave the mess behind and move on to what they think will be a better world someplace else. Imagine the coming space wars. What makes anyone think they won't get worse instead of better? We can't stop the wars here. Do we really think that by going to space, wars will magically disappear and everyone will happily divide up new territories? Since when did that ever happen? We know it won't work simply by the methods they are using to achieve it. Implementing totalitarian rule where the common man is exploited just like another natural resource. The goal is not to take us along with them. The goal is to dismantle us as we sit in our prisons, hypnotized by devices and drugs, engineering a new race with our harvested parts. In their quest, how could they have forgotten the most important ingredient, the human spirit? In their arrogance, they think it is not important. They are gods, after all. But they are not God. They are no different than any of us, only they hate to be reminded of that. They play a dangerous game. One they believe they can win because they have lost all connection to reality. They are irrational and arrogant. And in following their lead, we are losing our minds. If we don't rise up and cry from the highest mountains that these monsters above us are no better than bullies in the schoolyard and refuse to follow them, then we will never get anywhere. And more than that, if we don't acknowledge that we let them do it by following their example, we are implicit and just as responsible for the catastrophic results. After three years of intensive training in Tang Soo Do, I achieved my black belt from the American Tang Soo Do Congress. The day afterwards, I flew to the National Book Convention in Denver to promote one of my children's books with my publishing company, Harvest House. I was so proud of my achievement. I boasted about it to everyone in my publishing company. As I was walking down the street with my editor, someone came up from behind and grabbed my purse and ran off. It happened in a split second, and I was taken completely by surprise. All I could do was gasp and say, hey, like an idiot. As I assessed the situation, I saw the VP of marketing now standing a few feet in front of me and dangling my purse, laughing uproariously. Ha ha, Miss Black Belt, he taunted. It was funny, and I laughed along with him, but it was also humiliating, and he never let me live it down. I might have learned a lot of katas, blocks, kicks, and punches, but as far as real fighting, I knew next to nothing. I had been arrogant when I should have been humble. From that point on, I started training in Eskrima, Filipino stick and knife fighting, as well as grappling. That was when I learned how to fight for real, and the more I learned, the more I realized how little I knew. I became humble. Milan Kundera says in the Book of Laughter and Forgetting that the stupidity of people comes from having an answer for everything. In our current world, we have given up our reason and submitted to the will of the gods. They have convinced us with shiny, distracting objects and fabulous wealth that they are infallible. After all, how could they be so successful if they weren't the smartest guys on the planet? But remember, they are the ones who determined the definitions of success. Guys that lived in their basements and played video games and watched porn and were made fun of by the jocks and the cheerleaders are having their revenge. They are now out of the basement and dancing maskless at parties while we serve them with our muzzles on. 
with feelings of comfort and belonging, we sit down in front of screens and allow ourselves to ingest whatever information they have created for us. Kundera goes on to talk about the importance of the novel. The wisdom of the novel comes from having a question for everything. When Don Quixote went out into the world, that world turned into a mystery before his eyes. That is the legacy of the first European novel in the entire subsequent history of the novel. The novelist teaches the reader to comprehend the world as a question. There is wisdom and tolerance in that attitude. In a world built on sacrosanct certainties, the novel is dead. The totalitarian world, whether founded on Marx, Islam, or anything else, is a world of answers rather than questions. There, the novel has no place. What will happen in a world where there are no more questions, only answers? When the perfect race of humans has been created and at any time you can change a body part or upload information into your mind. What will that information be? Will it have come from inside yourself or will it have been programmed for you? As the replicant Rachel ruminates in the movie Blade Runner when she sits down to play the piano, she isn't sure if what she is playing comes from her having learned it or if the ability has been implanted in her by her creator, Dr. Tyrell. Is there a difference? Does it matter? Is the solution to overpopulation and hunger and disease to experiment on the masses and then kill them off when the elite have found the answers they are looking for? Must we sacrifice millions so that the few can attain a higher level of existence and thus save humanity? Such future humans will be perfect, like a robot is perfect, but along the way, will they have lost their souls? And again, does it matter? Because who has seen a soul? Who has seen God? Who can say for certainty that they exist? But we can see our earthly gods. We know they exist. I remember when I was president of the nonprofit, I started a creative writing program for incarcerated youth in Los Angeles. Some elites of LA society decided they wanted to take it to the next level. They were going to have a fundraiser at the home of a big Hollywood producer. And lots of famous people would come and it would get a lot of press and raise a lot of money. Fabulous. The only problem was the worry that if we invited the youth from the program and their families, someone might steal something or cause a ruckus. One of the former students was on the board and naturally he found this thinking offensive. At a meeting for the fundraiser, he commented quite reasonably that perhaps the fundraiser should be held at a more inclusive location, such as the Writers Guild. After the meeting, I received a phone call from the director who was organizing the fundraiser. This person started screaming at me. Who the, once again, I have to say this word, who the fuck does he think he is? Doesn't he know we're doing this for him? He should be thankful and just shut up. This is the attitude of the elite. They are so amazing, so wise, so powerful. How dare the common folk not bow down and obey their ever benevolent decision? How dare they not be thankful and just shut up? In the end, I wrote a letter to the board saying in good conscience I could not support the fundraiser. And as I've mentioned in other essays, eventually I left and those elite took over. There are other gods of this world that I don't mention here, big names such as Soros, Klaus, and the Rothschilds. However, I suspect that those who are really in charge stay far in the shadows. They are unknown to us. But whoever they are, 
Wondering about them should not distract us from the madness of these lesser gods and how they refuse to take into account the innate flaws of humanity in their ever-growing lust for power. A million enticing theories can be presented with marvelous media displays, but none of it will ever if the price well, none of it will ever matter if the price we pay is giving up not only our physical and mental freedom but our very souls. The day is upon us when even our faces won't matter anymore. We are being primed with for this with masks. We will be identified by our heartbeat. Yet the very fact that they would do this proves our individual beauty. Each heartbeat is unique. They've taken away our faces. What will they do once they control our heartbeats? Take that away too. These gods will be inside our bodies, pushing the blood through our veins with drugs that we ingest because without them, our bodies will no longer have a way to fight for themselves. But that's okay. Bodies are expendable. We must change our bodies to survive in space. Through the process of mass psychosis, the gods have convinced us that these dehumanizing experiments are for our own good. The future will be better and brighter for the changes that are occurring. We are being dissected piece by piece, losing every last bit of the uniqueness that makes us human. What will we do about it? Quarantine is a word used for those who are sick. But what we are actually experiencing is house arrest. We accept these backwards and upside down words without thought. In Australia, they now have centers for national resilience, where the sick can be held for indefinite periods of time. The sick? These are prisons. In Jeff Manog and Nicola Twilley's book, Until Proven Safe, they describe such places as not only a medical center, but an unusually poetic metaphor for any number of moral, ethical, and religious ills. It is a period of waiting to see if something hidden within you will be revealed. A purgatory. How do you get out of purgatory? God judges you. If you are good, you are sent to heaven. If you are evil, you are sent to hell. If things continue on this pace, there will never be a utopia for any of us. The next time you hear promises of the delights of the off-world colony, think about what it really means. Do not behave like Hansel and Gretel, foolishly dazzled by the illusion of the witch's house. Do not be so overcome by your immediate need for safety and security that, like Esau, you sell your birthright for a pot of stew. We are all of us worthwhile. It takes courage to face the natural world and overcome the obstacles set in our paths. There are ways to solve world poverty and disease, but it isn't by wiping out expendables through experimentation so that the elite can become transhuman gods. It will never work. Watch the world crumble in the process. Only through acknowledging with humility the flaws in our spirits and accepting that none of us are fit to be gods is there hope. Remember, it is the meek who shall inherit the earth. We confuse meekness with weakness. They are not the same. A bully is weak. The meek are strong. If you look at history, the powerful always underestimate the common man, the ones living in those despised flyover states. The French seem to remember. Perhaps that is why they are rising up to protest the COVID passports and lockdowns in such numbers. I went to a little church the other Sunday. It was in a simple building filled with ordinary folks, the pastor wasn't some nationally famous speaker, and he hadn't written a bestseller. He was from a small town in West Virginia. 
Listening to his common sense talk of love and connection between human beings was like water in a dry desert. An elderly gentleman came up to me afterwards, a big smile on his maskless face, and extended his hand in greeting. I couldn't remember the last time anyone had done that to me. I shook his hand and felt a flood of gratitude towards him and every person in that church. You didn't see madness in their eyes, although they are made out in the media to be the crazy ones. They were rational, calm, welcoming. I'm not a big churchgoer ordinarily, but I know for many people church has been an important lifeline, creating community, friendships, social interaction, not to mention a place where those with shared faith find comfort and strength in hard times. Those who are dismantling our culture hate little gatherings like this. Anything that brings a sense of commonality, of community, of humanity undermines their goals. What will happen when all these little places of comfort are gone? No matter. The silly, flawed people who frequented such places will be gone too. Genome editing technologies enable scientists to make changes to DNA, leading to changes in physical traits like eye color and disease risk. Scientists use different technologies to do this. These technologies act like scissors, cutting the DNA at a specific spot. Then scientists can remove, add, or replace the DNA where it was cut. The first genome editing technologies were developed in the late 1900s. More recently, a new genome editing tool called CRISPR, invented in 2009, has made it easier than ever to edit DNA. CRISPR is simpler, faster, cheaper, and more accurate than older genome editing methods. Many scientists who perform genome editing now use CRISPR. <coughs> Genome editing tools have the potential to help treat diseases like a genomic basis like cystic fibrosis and diabetes. So, for example, they will eradicate diabetes by altering a person's genes, but not for you. No, they will experiment on you so that they can then pick and choose the humans of the future. Of course, ethical questions arise, and because we are still not so far gone as to discount them, these questions are still being discussed. 1. Is it okay to use gene therapy on an embryo when it is impossible to get permission from the embryo for treatment? Is getting the permission from the parent enough? 2. What if gene therapies are too expensive and only wealthy people can access and afford them? That could worsen existing health inequalities between the rich and the poor. 3. Will some people use genome editing for traits not important for health, such as athletic ability or height? Is that okay? 4. Should scientists ever be able to edit germline cells? Edits in the germline would be passed down through generations. Snip and cut like an editor edits a film. Who will do this? Those scientists imbued with that power by the gods. If they can edit away diabetes, does that mean a person could eat donuts all day and never suffer any consequences? I want a new body so I can have it. I want to climb the highest mountain, so I will alter my genes and fly up that mountain better than any old Sherpa. How annoying those guys always were anyway. They had naturally developed the ability to live at high altitudes. Well, now, the gods will show them. If the gods want to, inter in want to be entertained by two basketball teams, will they create the bodies of the players? If they want a certain type of servant, they can create it. If they are tired of their own blue eyes, they can make them purple. How does this bring joy and fulfillment? 
What will the stories of inspiration and overcoming adversity be in the future? Who will the rebels be? This transition to utopia will be messy, as Biden assured us his withdrawal from Afghanistan would be. But it will be worth it. I think most common folk are not fooled by these promises. We know the elite lie. Just like the promises of our government meant nothing for those left behind in Afghanistan, just like the promises of a new normal if we obey the COVID rules, more and more people are rising up and saying, forget it. Truckers in Australia vow to bring the economy to a halt. Parents across the United States protest against CRT. Nurses refuse the vaccine mandates, causing shortages. The list goes on and on of people rising up. Will it be enough? I don't know. But what we must get back to is what the agenda really is, to exploit the common man and every resource on this planet to achieve life among the stars for an elite few and all that entails. Those earthly gods who want to do this are insane. They want us all there with them, swimming in the sea of their insanity and eventually drowning. Whether they succeed in making us to do this or not, they will never achieve their goal of living among the stars. Not as long as they deny the spirit and believe they know everything when they really know nothing. Only with the humble acknowledgement that we are flawed creatures who are corrupted by power can we ever change our destructive ways. Indeed, it is impossible to imagine what the future would look like if our leaders truly faced this truth. Imagine our leaders bowing down in humility to those they are supposed to serve instead of exploiting us to ever more horrifying degrees. We have gone so far down this deviant path that even trying to imagine a true utopia, not based on exploitation, but based on humble acceptance of one another, is impossible for us to envision. That is why heaven has been written about as having mansions and being paved with gold. And paradise is a place of a thousand virgins. Who cares about the virgins themselves? They will love it, the men promise. Space, the final frontier. If we want to experience it, we will need to stop the madness of controlling one another through fear. What is there to fear but death itself? Ah, wait. Ha, huh. we will all die. Do these gods truly think they can overcome death? These vampires who suck us dry? In their small bullying minds, do they really suppose that the true God, because surely there is one, will allow this? I suppose it remains to be seen. What is our purpose here anyway? Remember that saying, if you love someone, set them free? Oh, how could I end on such a cliche? But it's true. It's just about the truest that is just about the truest thing you will ever know. What's the point of forcing people to do things? Like a psycho, the gods can scream in our faces, you will love me. They can torture us, force us to say it through fear, but they can never make us love them. Alternatively, they can save themselves that humiliation by creating a robot who will say those words. But it will never be the same as having a real person with a soul respond with love. The God's solution is to extract the soul from all of us and do what? They will never find the fulfillment they seek. They will never overcome death. They will never create life. They are schoolyard bullies playing a dangerous game beyond their ability and we must stop them. There is a beautiful world awaiting us all and the only way to find it is to snap out of the mass psychosis and bring down the God's. 
and remember, the meek shall inherit the earth. Psalm 37, verse 11. Long essay. I hope you made it to the end. Thank you so much for listening, for reading, and God bless you this Sunday.